Hey everyone, it's Doug and welcome to episode number 60 of the Learning to Lead podcast. I'm excited to be with you again this month. And in this episode, I had the privilege of interviewing one of my good friends and a great leader, Ben Rath. He is the founder of iChurch, which is an ARC church plant here in the city of Pittsburgh. And uh, they're doing a phenomenal work in our city. And I'm just so excited for Ben. And Ben actually has been on the podcast before. We had him speak at a leadership breakfast last September. And he did a talk called How to Kill Your Leadership. And uh, it was absolutely phenomenal. I still get feedback about how good that breakfast was. And so if you weren't able to listen to that, I'll include a link in the show notes that you can click on and listen to Ben's talk there. I'd also encourage you to listen to this interview the whole way through. Um, I know it'll add value to your life. It added value to mine. I took pages and pages and pages of notes. And uh, I'm just so honored to call Ben friend and a mentor. And uh, I'm just so grateful for his voice in my life. So before we jump into the interview... Just a quick announcement, our next Learning to Lead Breakfast is this Saturday, which is May 16th, 2015, and we're having Celine Gubril, who is the Executive Director of the Pittsburgh Promise, come and speak to us. He's going to be sharing his best leadership content. And if you've never heard Salim speak, he's one of the most gifted communicators I've ever heard. And if you're unfamiliar with what they, uh, the Pittsburgh Promise does, they actually provide free college tuition to uh, city school students who graduate with a certain GPA. It's absolutely a phenomenal program, and Salim is just uh, doing a great work in our city. And so you will not want to miss that. I'll also include a, a, a link in the show notes for you uh, to register for that. It's a free breakfast, and we'd love to see you out uh, this Saturday. So hope to see you there. And then lastly, uh, if this podcast adds value to your life, there's a section in the show notes say how you can help this podcast. Um, I would love it if you would help us get the word out about this podcast. You can rate us in iTunes. You can leave a review there. You can subscribe to the podcast on iTunes. All of those things help us um, get this podcast out there so we can add value to other young leaders. And on top of that, if you've been listening to the podcast for a while and uh, we've never met or you've never talked to me and it's added value to your life, I'd love to hear about that. I actually had a girl email me this past weekend just telling me that she's been listening to the podcast for a while and how it's added value to her life. And uh, those are really encouraging emails to me. They make me want to keep going and keep doing this. Uh, I love doing this, but when I hear other people are getting value added to their lives as well, that fires me up to keep going as well. So if you have a story or a way that this podcast has impacted your life, I'd love to hear about it. You can email me at DougSmithLive at gmail.com. And of course, if there's anything I can personally do for you to add value to your life, please let me know. Again, you can email me at DougSmithLive at gmail.com. So thanks again for listening. And I know you'll enjoy this interview with Ben. So let's jump right into it. Thanks, Ben, for being willing to do this interview. Why don't we just start off with you telling us a little bit about you, what you do, your family, and what you're passionate about. Sure, yep. Uh, my name's Ben, and uh, lead pastor at iChurch. We, we planted iChurch about uh, two and a half years ago, September 2012, and it's been, been a crazy journey. Me and my wife, Alicia, she's the best support that I could ever hope to have. We have three young kids, and my passion in life is this. Like, I just love, hopefully, living open-handed. I love sharing what God's showing me, and usually it's what I'm just learning through myself. That's great. What's one thing that, that people would be surprised to know about you? Yeah, I, I was thinking about it. You know, I, I think uh, I think people would probably be surprised that I'm never as confident on the inside as I sound on the outside. I mean, I, I, I think that I come across sounding like I have all the answers sometimes, but often on the inside I don't feel that way really at all. 
That's interesting. So how do you, just out of curiosity, how do you deal with that? Well, I mean, it, some of it is just fake it till you make it, right? I mean, if you, I think that the Bible is the best book of leadership examples, and I think the best leadership examples you can, the, the reason why they're so great in the Bible is because you get to see uh, people on their peaks, and you get to see them in the pits, and, and insecurity is a, a big part of it. And literally, I mean, you look at Moses, that dude had to fake it till he made it, and, and it was time and time again in his life. And so I just figured, you know what? If that's the model, that's what I'm going to do. We'll just fake it till we make it, and we we'll just just keep plowing through. That's good. So a few years ago, you planted a church, but prior to that, uh, you were a leader in the business world, specifically around church planting. What has that experience taught you about leadership? Well, I think, and it, this probably is true in both realms, whether it's the marketplace or in church ministry. The thing that uh, the, the thing that I've seen the most is that. Principles and practicals are totally different. And it, it, principles are available anywhere. I mean, Barnes & Nobles, you can go to any bookshelf and you can find principles on marketing and leadership and management or whatever you want to learn principles about. But at the end of the day, like, you got to do something with it. And so the practicals, it's, it's often really hard to put those things into play. So I'd say that's one thing. The other thing that I would say that I've learned, and especially in church planning, is that when you're the lead, like when, it, when you're the guy, when it's your thing, it's on you. And the weight of that responsibility as a point person, I don't think I ever understood when I was younger in life, whether it was the marketplace or serving at churches. And I look back and I wish I would have understood the weight that the point leader that I reported to, that I served underneath, that they carried, I think I could have I could have served them so much better if I would have appreciated that weight. So for everyone listening to this that does support someone or is in a support role, what would your encouragement to be when they get frustrated with that owner, with the boss? Because we all do, but I think if we had the empathy or the, the maybe insight that you did, we made you different. What would you say to those people? Well, the thing we've worked real hard to create culturally here at iChurch, and especially in the leadership ranks here, um, and, and let's just be honest and be real. I mean, culture is being created whether you want to create it or not. So it's happening. Either people are creating it or you're creating it, but it's happening. And so we said early on as, as some of these things were starting to become kind of like realities for me, like, oh, wow, like this is on me. And that kind of sucks sometimes. Uh, the thing that we've tried to, real hard to do is to build a benefit of the doubt culture with our leaders. So that means we express benefit of the doubt to them when they make decisions that we maybe don't understand or don't like. But we have, I have verbally asked the people on my team, like, listen, people are going to come to you and they're going to question something I did, and you don't have to defend that. All I ask you do is point them to me, like benefit of the doubt, like, hey, you know what? I, I don't want to speak for Ben, but I know he has our best heart and interest. He has the vision of the church in mind when he made that decision. We should talk about it together. But I really think that that's it. I mean, if you can build a culture of benefit of the doubt, that helps a ton with this idea of, of, of giving your point leader the benefit of the doubt. Because they're going to make decisions you don't like or that you don't understand. But give them the benefit of the doubt that they're carrying a weight that you, don't, you can't appreciate. And you're not called to appreciate. And you're not called to experience it and feel it. But benefit of the doubt is huge. Like, who's the person that you signed up to follow? In the Bible, what's so interesting, I think that we're, we, it's crazy. And I, the Bible is the best leadership book out there. And I know that might offend John Maxwell fans, but I love it. Hey, there's the John Maxwell leadership Bible. Sometimes, sometimes he uses the Bible, so I'm okay with that. But I, I think what's so interesting in the Bible is 
in our lives, when we think about decisions and where we're going to go work or where we're going to serve, we think about where we're called to. And we think, am I called to this place or that place? You know what's so interesting in the Bible? People are often, most often called to another person. And I think the question you've got to ask, especially as it relates to the point leader that you serve underneath, am I called to that person? Because I think that that opens the floodgates of benefit of the doubt. Because if you're called to a person, I'm not saying that they're going to live perfectly, but it's, it's, it's that you've answered the most important question, the spiritual one, which is I'm not called to a place or a geography. People were called to people. Am I called to support this person? And if so, that means doing things that I don't understand all the time. That's good. But I love them, and I'm called to them, and I'm going to give them the benefit of the doubt. That's good. What would you say to the main differences you've led in the church world and in the business world, and you still are in the business world in some aspects? What What's the big difference between leaders in the business world and leaders in the church world? Well, I, th- I think there are differences, obviously, for obvious reasons, and the primary one is probably motivation, right? In the business, it's it, it's about profit. In in the nonprofit world, it's usually about something else. But generally speaking, it's probably about it, it's about life change. But I so while the goals are different. I'm not sure that from a leadership perspective that there's all that much difference. I mean, the, the burdens, the, response, the, the responsibilities, they're, they're all the same. I would say that if one could learn from the other, what church leaders could learn, and I think you're starting to see this, I think church leaders are, at least in the context that, that I look at it from, church leaders are learning from business leaders. Like, I think they finally realize, like, we finally get that maybe companies that make billions of dollars in profit could teach us something about how to run our organizations of any shape or size, even though the objectives are different. I don't know that we're seeing that necessarily inverse. Like, I don't know if the business world is reaching into the Christian and the church world for advice, but man, they should be. Because I might say it 10 times today, we've got the best leadership book in the world. And there's these things in this book, the Bible, these kingdom principles, and you might not like them, but they're kingdom principles. They're kind of like gravity. I don't love gravity every day, but it's going to be here whether I like it or not. Yeah. And there's these kingdom principles. And I think that the business world could learn a lot from the church world. A mentor of mine, uh, his name is Matt Keller. He is, he is doing this. He's the leader of an amazing church that they started 12 years ago in Fort Myers, Florida. And about three years ago, he started doing what he calls his advanced one day, which is for business leaders in his community. It's leadership. And he teaches leadership, practicals, and principles to business leaders in the community. And that community, that organization has grown like fourfold since they started it. And I think last year they had over a thousand business leaders at a one day event in Fort Myers, Florida, where the business is reaching into the church saying, how do you actually do this? And it's amazing. And the results and the businesses that are flourishing as a result of saying, you know what, maybe this book actually does have something to offer. And it is, there's kingdom principles that, 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 that apply across organizational type. And that's huge. And I think the business, I think business could learn a lot from that. It's awesome. So, uh, actually, I first learned to lead breakfast. You were a speaker and, and I church hosted, and it was absolutely amazing. In fact, I still get a lot of feedback about your your message that day. And anyone listening to this, you can actually all include a link in the show notes uh, to Ben's breakfast talk. I can't encourage you enough to listen to that. Um, but in that breakfast, Ben, you talked about becoming healthy as a leader, and you kind of shared your experience. Can you can you tell us what you've learned over the past few years about getting healthy and staying healthy as a leader? Yeah. Well, you know what? It's I, I think a big part of that was that was realizing, like, this thing's on me. Like, I, God called me to this, and we said yes, and now it's up to me to be faithful and obedient with it and the, and the weight of that. But here's what I realized, that 
I don't want to build an unhealthy church, right? Nobody, nobody says that. Nobody says they want to build an unhealthy business, yet the culture in a lot of places, whether it's church or business or otherwise, is unhealthy. So nobody says they want to do that, yet that is the outcome in a lot. And here's what I realized, that a healthy church means a healthy me. And if I'm not healthy, the church won't be healthy. And all I ever wanted was to have a healthy organization. And health and unhealth can't coexist. And I think that reality is so, so important. So if I'm not healthy, I'm only going to create an unhealthy organization that attracts unhealthy people. But if I'm healthy and health and unhealth really can't coexist, when unhealthy people come into the organization, they're faced with a decision. It's either get healthy because health and unhealth can't coexist and this is where they want to be, or their unhealth drives them to leave. And that, that's been huge. But all that sounds really good in principle. But think about Think about in work or life or ministry or whatever it is, we tell people what we expect of them. And I think as it relates to being healthy, like a lot of people are unhealthy and they don't know it because health isn't defined. We define expectations everywhere else in life. Why don't we define expectations around what health looks like? So in our organization right now, our directional team is going through a process. We're, we're saying the six of us that primarily lead this organization, what does health mean? Like what are the expectations? How do we interact with each other? Well, one of the things we said is it's fun. Like we actually get to do ministry together and we get to do life together. One of the things said, that we said is this whole benefit of the doubt. Like we, we try trust each other. And so we've defined what health is. So now we know when we're playing in the rules and when we're not playing in the rules. And so we're fighting for an organization that's healthy. But whether it's health organizationally, health personally, uh, mentally, emotionally, physically, psychologically, the deal is it's like a bike. It's like riding a bike. And, and, and you can coast for a while, but at some point you got to pedal. And if you don't pedal, you're going to crash. And so you got to work on it. Like, you, you, you got to build it into your life. Like, we're going to fight for health. That's great. So with that, I, I know one of the lessons that, that God taught you, and really you've taught me uh, just by sharing it, is, is being content with the story God's writing for you. Uh, I know you, you changed my life a few months ago by just reminding me of who actually is writing my story when I was getting consumed with writing my own. What have you learned about God writing your own story and being content with that? Well, you know, the, the answer is in the question. <laughs> I, I, mean, I don't mean, mean, mean that as yeah. sarcastically as it sounded. I just think that we all, by nature of just being human beings, we all think we are in far more control than we are. But James in the Bible, the greatest leadership book ever, said, who are you to say that I'm going to go here and do this and do that tomorrow? And I think we've just got to kind of fully embrace the reality that we are characters in a story that's not about us. And whether God gives you a leading role or a supportive role, the story is never about you. It's always been about him. Like God is about one thing. He's about his glory being made known, that people are drawn to him because of who he is. And if you get to play any role in that, that's amazing. Whether it seems like a big role or a small role, we're all kind of C-list celebrities when, when you put yourself uh, in comparison to Jesus, right? Like it's not about us. And, and I just think embracing that truth is maybe the most freeing thing ever. Like we do our part, God does his part. I'm responsible for one half of that. And success in any area of life or ministry, it's about, it, it's about faithfulness. It's about obedience. It's not about the results. We, we just, you can't bring results. You can do things that create an environment where results can happen. But if it doesn't rain, that's up to God. That's not up to me. That's good.
So as a pastor, I, I know you have an opportunity uh, to walk people through some of the darkest times of their lives, and um, I'm sure you've had experience where people have caused you pain in your life um, through your leadership. I'm just curious, how do you and how have you learned and what are you learning about processing pain as a leader? Yeah, well, you know, there's there's generally two sources of pain. There's external pain that is inflicted upon you, and then there's self-inflicted pain. The self-inflicted pain, I think most of us who are irrational can kind of look and be like, oh, I made a dumb decision, and now I'm reaping the benefits of that. I think that's easier to process. Uh, the other type of pain is the stuff that's hard to deal with. And the, the thing that I have come to realize is that it's inevitable, right? Like, like pain, it's, it's going to happen. But it's not just inevitable. I actually think it's necessary. And, and I think that's so important. And I'll just relate it back to, uh, you know, I've been trying to get healthy from a fitness perspective. And one of the things that my trainer told me was that, listen, you're going to be sore tomorrow, but that means that your muscles actually grew. And if God is really going to, if God wants to use your life, it's going to take growth. And that growth requires pain and stretching. And so I think as leaders, we've just got to make the choice and the decision. And you almost have to decide in advance of experiencing the pain. I'm going to lean into this, and I'm going to get everything I can out of it. You know, God is miraculously efficient. Like, he doesn't waste any of that stuff. I just think we can, we can embrace it or we can run from it, but it's either, it, it's either growth. You're either choosing to grow by embracing the pain, or you can avoid the pain altogether. But, man, I'd rather let God use my life for all he wants to use it for, and so that just means, like, it's necessary. Yeah. But let me just say, it sucks. It never feels good. It never feels good the day after my workout. But I can at least relate the pain to progress. And I think that's the point. That's good. Closely related to that, I just want to talk about failure for a minute. Sometimes failure can cause a lot of pain. Um, what have you learned about failure? And it may be a similar lesson. What have you learned about failure in your experience? Yeah. yeah you know, it's, it's interesting. Uh, I, I was actually talking to somebody about this last week. Um, when, you think about, when, you, when you think about failure, right, it, it's inevitable, there's just going to be failure. There's going to be things that just don't pan out the way that we thought. The problem is, is from the youngest ages, we're wired to avoid that. But I think most of us would admit that when we try to do something new, there's a risk of failure. But if it plays out, the win is worth it. I think what I'm saying is, is that we've tried to avoid failure for all too long. I think we should be trying a lot more things with the risk of failure because the one that pays off is way, way, way more beneficial than the 10 the, the ten that don't play out. Like I think we've just got to embrace trying new things and understanding that some of them just aren't going to work. That's good. That's the process. That's, that's the point. That's good. So... Uh, with that, I mean, you've talked a lot about becoming healthy as a leader. That all involves personal development and personal growth. So I'm just curious if you could share some of your habits and personal growth. For one, um, you know, I know you're a reader, but what are some books that you've read that have made a, a significant impact on your life? Yeah, so I've never given away so many copies of a book as a book that I gave away last year, and it's a book called Soul Keeping. And uh, it's by a guy named John Ortberg. He worked with Bill Hybels at Willow Creek for some period of time. And I don't know when he wrote this book. But I, if I could just set the book up like this. Jesus said, what good is it if a man gains the entire world but loses his soul? I've spent time on my fitness routine. I've spent time developing my skills as a communicator. I've spent time developing in all kinds of areas and working diligently, like thinking about what am I going to do to improve in this area of my life, marriage, parenting, whatever it is. When was the last time you said, what am I doing to care for my soul? When Jesus said, it's the most important thing. And that book wrecked me when I read it. 
and I've never given away so many copies of it. And I think that... Do you have an extra one in your office here? I, I think no, I gave I the last one away. But <laughs> I, I have some books to give away, but not that one. Yeah. Um, it's, it, that's an amazing book. I'm, I'm, I read Boundaries for Leaders. That's incredible. And then just from a principal standpoint, I, I feel like getting people who think very differently than you in front of you is so important. I read everything that Seth Godin writes because sometimes what he reads, I what he writes, I don't understand. <laughs> and he just thinks in a different way yeah. and it's it's beyond outside of the box. And so I'm reading a book right now called What You Going to Do with That Duck? And it's incredible. Is that the real thick one with like 500 pages? All it is is his blog right, post right. over X number of years in bite-sized chunks. So I read them in the morning, and to me, I'm like, yeah, the book of Proverbs is good, but the book of Seth Godin is pretty good, too. <laughs> and so I read one of each. That's great. Yeah. That's awesome. So people, to talk about people who have influenced your life, first question, and this is just one I've been asking lately, I didn't put in the notes, but when you think of successful, who's the first person that comes to your mind? Oh, wow. Boom. <laughs> right Tim Ferriss gave me that question. Yeah. Uh, you know what? And and I'm, I can't say that this is the most successful person I know or not, but the first person that comes to my mind is Pastor Larry, Larry Bentoncourt. And, and I'll tell you why. And I think every leader needs to embrace this truth, that success in what area, as success as a leader is defined as faithfulness. It's where you keep doing what God led you and called you to do. And I think that oftentimes what we think about that success in leadership is about results. What if I win? What if I do this? What if I don't win? Does that mean I'm not a good leader? In the book, in the Bible, the book of Joshua, Joshua, I think everybody would say Joshua was an amazing leader. I mean, he led the people, he led the Israelites into the promised land. And everybody would look at him and be like, what an amazing leader, what an amazing leader. If, the, if you fast forward to the last pages of the book in the Bible that covers his life, it says that the next generation didn't serve God after him. But he was a great leader. It's not all about the success and the results. It's about faithfulness. Did he do what God called him to do? And for me, results-oriented leadership, like I think, I think results is more a function of, of management than leadership. To me, leadership is about faithfulness. And so when I think about, when I think about the epitome of that, it's, it's, it's Pastor Larry. That's excellent. So you mentioned Pastor Larry. Who are, who are one or two people that have significantly impacted your life that have been voices to you, and what do they teach you? Yeah, you know what? It, it, it's, such a, it's a question that to me is it, it's so seasonal. Like different seasons of your life, there's different voices that, that mean different things. I mean, Pastor Larry, obviously pivotal in both you and, and, and my life at, yeah. at different seasons. Um, so, so he's up there. Uh, Pastor John uh, Nuzo uh, is another one who, man, just believed in me when I didn't believe in myself. Uh, there's leaders right now who nobody on this podcast would know, but they're, they're guys that, man, they, they believe in me. They, and the, the, the best type of leader, I mean, the leaders who, who impact you the most are the ones who are willing to, to roll up their sleeves with you and coach you. And I think so often in life, we're going to have plenty of critics, right? You're going to have plenty of people who want to sit in the bleachers and they got nacho, nacho cheese stains on their shirt and they want to hurl insults like, do it, throw a strike, throw a strike. But a leader is the guy that's the coach that will get on the field and help you win. And, uh, man, I, I'm so thankful for all the guys that have been willing to get in the field and, man, help me win, like literally roll up their sleeves and help make it happen. That's good. Um, <clears throat> what do you do to continue to... And we'll probably just talk about this. But what do you do to continue your your growth? Yeah, uh, well, I'm I'm part of some virtual online coaching networks. Those are huge. 
Uh, again, there's there's no shortage of those types of resources out there today. I would say if, if you're looking for one, the, the best thing you can do is find a, a network of guys that will teach you principles but also give you practicals. And then principles and practicals are great, but it's got to be relationally based. Like I think the most dangerous thing you can do as a leader is try and do it alone, and you've got to do life with people who are – who are, uh, you know, trying to charge the same mountain that you're trying to charge, and so I do. So I do some online coaching, and I, I, do, I really do a ton of reading. Alicia and I challenged each other to read 25 books this year, so it's it's a race to the finish line. I'm beating her right now, but uh, she's doing pretty good. And just reading is huge. Reading in a way that's not like how do I regurgitate this and teach this to somebody, but reading just to learn. And that's a different type of reading for me. I've always read, like, reprocess. Like, how can I take this, spin this, and use this? I'm just reading to learn. I, like, I'm just reading to exercise my mind, and that's been huge. That's great. What do you think the biggest challenge is facing leaders today? Hmm. Well, I, I, think, there's a lot of, I, I think there's a lot of little things for sure. But um, maybe the biggest one is, and I would say this is more with up-and-coming leaders than anything else, but it's having to do with, and I think it is more young leaders than anybody else, but it has to do with trusting what's in your hand. And I think sometimes we think we don't have what we need to do what God has called us to do. And there just couldn't be anything that's further from the truth. But all through the Bible, we see great leaders wrestling with that tension, feeling like God has called them to do something, and then not feeling like they're equipped to do it. I mean, when Moses and God have this conversation at a burning bush and Moses, God tells Moses, you're going to go and do this, Moses answered, but behold, they're not going to believe me or they're not going to listen to my voice. They're not going to, they're not going to trust you, God. Yes, like I hear what you're saying, but they didn't hear you say this to me, so they're not going to believe it. And look what God said to him. The Lord said, what's that in your hand? And Moses said, well, it's my staff. And, and God said, throw it on the ground, and it turned into a snake. And he said, now grab it by the tail, and it's going to turn back into a staff. And then God's next sentence is so amazing. He says, but the Lord said to Moses, says, so put it in your hand, catch it by the tail. And then he says, all this is so that they may believe. And I think that as leaders, like if you're called to a place like God has called you to do something, he has equipped you and put in your hands what you already need. And I think we spend so much time as leaders trying to get our ducks in a row. Like, what are we going to do? And we got to line up the resources and this and this and this and that. If God has called you to it, he's equipped you with it so that they may believe. And especially in a ministry context, like and I'm, t- I'm, I'm, this is the whole confidence thing. I'm telling myself this right now. Like, there are areas where I feel like God is calling us to do something and we don't have the resources. And he's like, look at what's in your hand. Yeah. Look at what's in your hand already. Look at the team that I've surrounded you with. Look at the people that I've put in your church. Look at the resources I've afforded you with. I'm not, I wouldn't call you to do something that I haven't equipped you to do. And I think that is leaders across the board. Like, we look at everything and everything is a limitation of what we want to do instead of looking at what we have and figuring out how we're going to make this work to do what we're called to do business or church hands down i think that's it love it so you talked about young leaders um i probably talked about that i guess what what can what do you look for what qualities do you look for in up-and-coming leaders and really what can young leaders do to set themselves apart yeah so uh what i it's interesting because in a young startup type organization like we are, it's really easy to say, well, 
look for upcoming leaders. Like, can you fog a mirror? You're a leader. <laughs> like, you just need bodies, right? right? But we are to the point now where it's like, well, you know what? That's not really fair to them and fair to us. I mean, Moses had all kinds of supportive leaders. He had Aaron, Hur, and Joshua, and they all had different skill sets they brought to the table. And so we're trying to look at, uh, spiritually speaking, we look at people through kind of that filter. Like, there are people who just want to do, like, they're just happy to be asked to do any type of job. And then there's people who have the potential to lead. And when I look at leaders, I'm looking for somebody who's magnetic. That's the first thing. Like, when they're in a room, the people come to them? Is there kind of that natural vibe around them where people are drawn to them? And that's huge. That's a big deal. So I'm looking for people who are magnetic. I'm looking for people who are driven. I don't know that you can teach driven. I really don't. Like, I think you can give people objectives and they can march to them for a period of time and you can put a boot up their butt, but at some point that gets exhausting. And to bring somebody on at a high leadership level that you have to drive, like I can't drive their car and my car at the same time. It just doesn't work. And it's just too exhausting. So I want somebody who's magnetic. Like people are drawn to them. There's some sort of charisma, leadership, gift, skill, ability about them that God put in them and not me that I can develop, but I don't have to birth because I can't. So they got to be magnetic. They got to be driven. They have to be teachable. This is huge for us as a church. Teachable is a funny thing. Everybody thinks they're teachable until you coach them up in the area that they think that they're an expert in. Yeah. And so that's a really good test. Like if you're looking at, is that guy a leader? Well, for me, one of the filters is teachable. So the thing that they're currently doing that they think they're good at, go coach them up on it and you'll see how teachable they are. But you've got to have people who are teachable. And then the, the fourth one is gifted. I mean, is there something about them? What is their gift and skill set and does it fit? the area that you're asking them to lead in. So that's huge. That's good. Now, if you're on the other side, what advice? So someone's listening to this and they're like, wow, I'm magnetic. I'm driven. I'm teachable. I'm gifted. You know, what advice would you give to them to really, even if they're extremely talented, right? Character becomes an important issue. What advice would you give to those young leaders who maybe have a huge vision for where they want to go in 20 years, but, but they're just starting where they're at. What would you tell them? Well, uh, a couple things, because I, I think one of the things that, that young leaders wrestle with is they want the results without putting in the time. It just doesn't work like that. I mean, spoiler alert, fast forward to the end of your life. If you're not willing to put in the hard work and put in the time, I don't care how good your vision is. It just doesn't matter. Like, there is, there is process in the middle of everything, and you've got to be willing to go through the process. So, so, so I think that's one thing, but I, I would say ultimately, I mean, if you want to stand out, in an organization, prove to be somebody who's flexible. Because in any organization, there's just things that change. Roles have to change. Jobs have to change. Like, stuff just changes. Prove that you're flexible. Because leaders, again, we carry that burden, that weight. Like, this is what God's, especially in a church context, like, this is what God's calling me to do. And sometimes that changes. And, like, God's not always into big advance notice. And so flexibility is huge. Like, flexibility about your role. Like, everybody has to be more committed to the vision than they are their job within the vision. Like the vision trumps all. It's all about what we're trying to do together, what God has called us to do. And your role might need to change to best accomplish that. So flexibility is huge. Uh, Be inspirational. Like create a positive attitude. There's enough negativity in the world. And the thing about negativity is it is human nature to rally around that which is negative. Like if we got together today, like, you know, how you doing? Oh, I'm tired of this weather. Tired of the snow. It's the first thing we talked about when you got to my office today. Why? Because human tendency is to rally around what's negative. Be a positive voice. Be a positive voice and inspire. I would say innovation is huge. Like, can you do a lot with a little? Especially in a young startup organization. Prove that you can be trusted with a little bit. Like, make a lot happen with a little bit. 
there's something about the generation that's kind of coming up, and maybe I'm on the tail end of this generation. I don't know if I'm in it or out. I don't know what generation we're into, X, Y, Z. Like, I don't know where we're at with all that. But what I see in young people coming out is they just want to be told exactly what to do. Well, if I wanted to tell you exactly what to do, I would just do it myself. Part of what I'm asking you to do as a leader is figure out how to do it yourself. Like, here's the big picture. Now run to it. And prove that you can innovate from there. And then at the end of the day, get results. I think it was in your cube at Victory where you had, it was like the X number of rules of success, 57 rules of success. And then it was, uh, it was whatever. It, was, it said something like deliver the, deliver the goods. And then the next one was the other 56 don't matter. Yeah. That is such a big deal. Like prove that you can actually get the job done is huge. There's so, like most organizations, and some young leader needs to hear this today. Like you think your ideas make you a leader? They they don't. No, like I don't need I don't need more ideas. I've got a bucket full of ideas. What I need is some young energetic person who can be flexible, who's willing to do something that's not what they thought they were going to do, who can prove that they can innovate and can inspire some people around them to actually deliver some flipping results. Like at the end of the day, we got to move the ball down the field. And if you can't deliver results, I don't, I don't care how good your ideas are. And I think the, the interesting side of that is, is as you prove your, your, your worth, in a sense, to be able to deliver the goods, then you get a voice at the table. And then your ideas become valued because you've proven that you could actually go out and do those things yourself. I don't need any more idea, guys. I don't know about other people's organizations. Ideas are, are not the issue around here. No idea crisis here. That's good. You probably already answered this, but in case you had something planned that that, uh, that you didn't say, what do you see young leaders missing it most often? Yeah, it's the whole results and rewards thing. I mean, they want people. We all, listen. It's human tendency, so I don't want to just pick on young leaders, but I think it's really prevalent in this generation that we want results without being willing and to put in the work. Where else in life can you expect that to happen? It's really ridiculous. But for some reason, when it comes to our jobs or our careers or where we're going to serve, we think, like, we're going to get out of college and somebody's going to make you the CEO. It's just not going to happen. There um, there really are no overnight success stories in life in the Bible. They're all, like, 10, 20, 30 years in the making. And so maybe we should just embrace that there's a process that we have to go through and work really hard in the context of the process. Great. And the last question around young leaders is is really just open-ended. If you to give any advice to young leaders, do you have any other that you would give it? I know you just unloaded it a lot. Yeah, I would say the most dangerous thing you can do in life and leadership is trying to do it alone. I think it's I think it's so destructive. And I know that that's true in a ministry context, but I've, thankfully, grace of God, I've had the, the opportunity to see it in the marketplace too. Leaders who do it alone don't do it for long, and they don't do it well. And so I think that the best advice for any leader, young, old, is you got to find three people in your life. you got to find somebody who's a few steps ahead of you. you got to find somebody who's kind of a peer, kind of on the same playing field. And you got to find somebody that's, that's a few steps behind you. And for the person ahead of you, you need to do everything you can to, to get in their life so that they can help you to avoid some roadblocks, help you to avoid a few potholes, a few twigs that are hanging you know, low from a tree that are going to smack you in the face, and learn everything you can from them. And, and, and I say one person because there's just so many opportunities to find voices. Like, you've got to find the voice and just pick one and say, man, will you, are you willing? Like, will you do this with me? You've got to find somebody who's on the same playing field as you because there's going to be days where it's just like you just need a practical, right? Like, I'm facing this. I think you just went through this. How did you handle it? 
And then you got to find somebody behind you because the most encouraging thing, and I think this is part of being a leader, is that you develop other leaders. And, and so if you're a leader, that is part of your responsibility, and it will fuel your vision. It will fuel your tank. You will get fulfillment from investing in somebody who's a few steps behind you. Like leader, young leader especially, like you have got to believe that you have something to offer right now where you're at. Like you don't have to be too far down the road to find somebody who's a few steps behind you that you can add value to in their life, and that will fuel your leadership like nothing else. Like that will keep it going for you. Okay, as we wind down, last two questions. These are a little more personal, but up to this point in your life, I know you're a young guy. Uh, what are you most proud of out of everything you've accomplished in life and ministry? I'm, I am most proud of my family. Like, I don't deserve the wife I have, and I don't have any idea how my spawn turned out the way they did. Like, they're amazing. And so I'm super proud of my family. Yeah. I love my family. It's, it's, it's the best part of my life. That's awesome. Without a doubt. And then, finally... Looking back on your life, ultimately, what do you want? What do you want to be remembered for? What do you want your legacy to be? You know what? I've been thinking about this a lot actually lately, and I've been thinking. You know, I have goals. Like, there's things I want to do in life. So don't get me wrong when I say what I'm about to say. Like, I have things I want to do. I have fitness goals. I have I have, I have goals, but I don't really want the fulfillment of those goals to actually be. Like, I don't care if that any of that's on my tombstone. Like, Ben got into shape, or Ben whatever. Ben spoke here, or Ben did this, or Ben grew that. What I would love for somebody to say is that Ben died empty. And I don't mean he died exhausted. Like, he used every minute of every day super productively. What I mean is that I hope that people look back. I want my legacy to be that the best parts of Ben, whatever God put in Ben, gifts, skills, abilities, that those were like the best of Ben was left in the world. That's what I hope. I hope that none of my best ideas and none of the best parts of my calling get left inside of me. That's great. Thanks. Anything else you want to leave us with? Nope. Thanks for the opportunity. This is awesome. It's good. It's, it's just it's good in a moment like this to be able to look back and just kind of, you know, exercise the brain and, and think through this. But, man, I guess the only other thing I would say is that, listen, leader, and, again, this is the confidence thing, like I'm telling myself this, you... In your leadership context, whatever that is, whether it's business, and and Doug, this is you too, man. Like, there are days where you're not going to feel it, and you just got to remind yourself that you're doing a lot better than you think you are. And that the expectations that you feel that you're not living up to, nobody else is putting on you. And if you would take the time to talk to some people who love you and who are close to you, they would tell you that none of those expectations that you're feeling, that you're facing, they're not real. And you're doing a whole lot better than you think you are. It's awesome. Thanks, man. Yeah, man. Awesome. Good being with you.